And this is Dan. Together we pastor Hope Culture Church in Elgin, Illinois. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Well, good morning, church. We are so glad you're worshiping with us today. We're excited to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday. He is risen. Right? Like, okay, you guys are like, do we clap? Do we say he's risen indeed? Like, we all have different church backgrounds, but the, the thing is that we're all gathered here to celebrate the resurrection of Christ, and it's so beautiful. It's so good. We're so excited. I want to read from Matthew chapter 28. After the Sabbath, at the dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. I love how it just says, the other Mary. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. An angel of the Lord did that. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. God, we turn our attention to you this morning, ready to worship, ready to hear your word, ready to celebrate that Jesus defeated sin and death in the grave. God, we're grateful. We pray that you'd speak to us through your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have you ever gotten news that changed everything? That you're like, you hear it and you're like, this changes everything. Like you got a new job or, or you got good news or bad news. It could be small or big, but you're just like, this changes everything. For us, one of those moments was our first Christmas together. Right around that time, we had gone to be with family and Abigail's like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm not feeling myself. Don't feel normal. And pretty quickly afterwards, we found out she is pregnant with our firstborn son. And for us, that was news that changed everything. We were like, this, things are going to be different from now on. Like, our marriage has drastically changed in this moment. This news changes everything. We're asking ourselves questions, will we ever sleep again? So far, the answer has been no. For the last nine years, we have not been sleeping. But that news changed things for us. We knew that things would be different in a moment. Maybe you've gotten bad news that changed things in a moment. A diagnosis or the phone call that you lost a loved one and, and things just changed in that moment. Everything was different from that point forward. It can be even little things. Like you go out to eat, you're ready to order your favorite meal and they're like, we're out of that. That happened to me the other day. We were at a restaurant and I ordered this specific type of sushi and they're like, we don't have that right now. And for me, that changed everything. <laughs> changed everything about the meal. My plans, what I had anticipated and thought was going to happen, were thrown out the window. But I think we all know where I'm going with this. That the news of the resurrection of Jesus changes things. In fact, I would argue it should change everything for us. It should be the thing that changes everything. That when we hear that news, our life is no longer the same as a result of it. There's so many things that we can talk about when it comes to the resurrection. I mean, generally, we all know, hey, the story of Easter, Jesus came, he died, he lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross and rose again, and we're here to celebrate that. But there's some things that are implied if we actually believe that. In fact, Paul, some of you are familiar, you've been around church long enough, you know he wrote a lot of the New Testament. But before he started writing letters to churches, he, he actually hated Christians. He hated everybody who was following Jesus and to the point where he was actively attacking them. 
He was taking their lives. He was just like, I do not like this thing. Whatever Jesus started, I'm totally against it. And then he has an encounter with Jesus. And that for him, that changes everything. He went from actively opposing Christ to doing everything he could to follow Christ. He became an apostle that was going around on multiple missionary journeys, planting churches, starting congregations, raising up leaders. And as he would go, he would write back to the church, check in on them. Some of them, he'd be like, you're doing pretty good. But most of them, he's like, hey, guys, you got a lot of stuff that you could probably improve on. And it's in one of those letters that he's writing back to a church, the Corinthian church, and he brings up the resurrection. There was a lot of stuff going on at the Corinthian church. You know, they had, they had some weird things that they were doing and some behaviors that were like, Paul's like, you probably should stop doing that if you're going to be a follower of Jesus. But one of the things that he brings up is, you guys don't actually believe in the resurrection for yourselves. He's like, you don't have the hope of, of being raised to life and, and have eternity with God in heaven in, in your body. And so he's writing out this argument, explaining to them, that Jesus' resurrection is directly connected to our resurrection. And he's laying it out in, in 1 Corinthians 15, which is where we're going to spend our time this morning. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but maybe you will later tonight when you're laying in bed or getting ready, calming down. It's a great chapter where Paul's making the argument, if Jesus is really raised from the dead, it means a lot for us. In the middle of that chapter, the first third or so, he actually does a common Greco-Roman style of arguing where he says, well, if it didn't happen, these would be all the negative effects of that. You know, he kind of takes the opposite side. And he's like, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, it would mean all of these things. So let's go ahead and read that really quick together. This is 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? See, he's addressing that, that thing where they're like, we don't actually believe in the resurrection for ourselves. And he says this in verse 13. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. you got to love Paul. He's just straight to the point. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. So Paul's breaking this down. He's writing a letter back to a church that he had helped start. And he's like, guys, the resurrection really happened. And he goes, and if it didn't, all of this other stuff didn't happen either. He kind of lists out all the negatives. So I went through and I was marking it up. And I came up with six things that Paul says right here didn't happen. He says, if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, preaching is useless. Might as well not be up here. But not just my preaching, all of us telling about the good news of Jesus. He says, not only is your preaching useless, useless, your faith is useless. The apostles are liars. You're not forgiven. You have no hope for life after death. And we should honestly probably be pitied. Paul's like, happy Easter, right? Celebrating the resurrection. If Christ wasn't raised from the dead, none of this stuff happened. But the reality is, we know Christ raised from the dead. And so what I want to do is spend a little bit of time taking the backside of Paul's argument, saying, all right, if Paul said Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then none of these things happen, 
us knowing Christ did raise from the dead, we know all of those things happen. So I rewrote these as positives. Let's take a minute and look at them. The first one, our message matters. Our message matters. He says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. If Christ hasn't been raised, there's no point in sharing the good news of Jesus, that he died and rose again. But if he is raised, then our message is important. It's not useless. It's valuable. It matters. Our message, what we have to share with others, is of the utmost significance. I think that it wouldn't just affect me as somebody who communicates and preaches regularly. I think it would affect all of us. Because we're all called to be part of the Great Commission, to go and tell the world what happened, share the good news of Christ. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. That the actual message itself is where the power is at. That there's something the Holy Spirit does when we share the gospel that brings people to Christ. It's not just about the person sharing it, it's about the good news itself. I think all of us have a role to play in that. And if Christ is really raised from the dead, our message matters. The message of Jesus, my testimony, your testimony, what he's done in your life matters and is worth being shared. I think it would be worth noting that we sometimes downplay that. That sometimes we're like, well, somebody else will tell him or I don't really have to share what God did. What if I don't have all the right words? What if I don't have all the answers? It's like, if we truly believe Christ raised from the dead, we know there is power in this message. Our message matters. We should share it. Galatians 6, 9 through 10 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. And he's making a point broader than just sharing the good news. He's making a point about loving and caring and serving and living out the gospel. But part of living it out is sharing the good news. He's like, don't, don't grow weary in it. Don't give up. Don't discount your story. Don't, don't downplay the significance of the gospel. If Christ is raised from the dead, our message matters. After he says, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, our preaching is useless, he goes, and your faith is useless too. Your faith is useless too. Which, then if we flip that one, we know our faith is needed. Our faith is not useless. If Christ did raise from the dead, our, our faith is of the utmost significance. Our faith is useful. I've been crucified with Christ. This is another, in Galatians 2, he says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body I live by faith. That actually, if we're going to believe in the resurrection, it calls us to live a life that's marked by faith. That everything we do, we orient our life around faith and who God is and what Jesus has done for us. Our faith is needed and useful. I think this is an encouragement. I think all of these things that Paul points at are also things that, that are deep within us as desires. That we have the desire to have something of value to offer the world. That we, we'd have a message that matters. That we have a, a desire to be able to put our faith in someone who won't let us down. We all know what it's like to, to be let down or disappointed or whatever it might be in a relationship. And when we have the ability to put our faith in Jesus who predicted his own death and resurrection, we know we're putting our faith in someone who can be trusted. Someone who won't let us down, who won't disappoint us, who, who's good and faithful to his word, that we can completely trust him. We have a message that matters. 
We have faith that can be trusted, faith that is needed. The next one, he says in verse 15, more than that, we are found to be false witnesses. He's like, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, I'm a liar, you're a liar, we're all liars. He's like, the apostles, they've all told you a lie. And the opposite of that would be that the apostles were telling the truth. That there is some amount of truth that is outside of us that is being spoken that we can trust. I think that's important to note that, that there is a message that can be trusted. I think we live in a time where we'd like to make truth a little bit more relative. What works for you works for you. What you believe, you believe. What your truth is, is your truth. I think this reminds us that there is actually truth and morality outside of ourselves, outside of what we've concocted and come up with on our own. I think we think that if we are our own gods and kind of have this ideal standard that we try to live up to, that, you know, things will generally work out, that it will be good enough, that that will be fine. But we actually know if we study the whole of Scripture that 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 doesn't ever work. If you read the book of Judges, it's God's people regularly doing what was right in their own eyes. That's the phrase the author uses. Israel did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Well, that always led to natural consequences and them going to a place that that they didn't wish they were and things not working out until finally they're like, God, we need you. Come rescue us. He would send a judge and they would lead them to righteousness and repentance and rescue them from that situation. And for a little bit, they would be like, yay, thank you, God. We're going to worship you and do things your way until the cycle started again and they started doing things in their own eyes, whatever seemed best to them. I think it's important to remember that truth exists and we can trust what God says. We can trust the word of God and what the apostles have written inspired by the Holy Spirit. We can trust that it's good and it's true and it's actually what's best for us. So we have a message that matters. We have a faith that's needed. The apostles weren't liars, but this next one is the most important. The next one In verse 17, he says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. The opposite of that means, I'm no longer in my sin. That we are forgiven. If the resurrection really happened, we can receive forgiveness. That changes everything. I mean, that's why we're here. That's why why we're gathered on Sundays every week. And that's especially why we're gathered here on Resurrection Sunday is that there is forgiveness of our sins. There is forgiveness for the ways we've broken God's laws or not met his standards. There's forgiveness. See, in the beginning, God created everything. And he looked around and said it's good. And Adam and Eve had perfect relationship with him until... They disobeyed what he said. And in that moment, sin entered the world. And sin is just a a word that means missing the target, missing the mark. So any way that we've fallen short of what God has said is best and true and holy and right. So by that definition, we've all sinned. I mean, Paul even wrote that to one of the churches. He's like, everybody has sinned. Everyone has fallen short of God's standard, his holiness, his grace. We need him. We need a rescuer. So God institutes the old covenant. He has all of these laws and rules that they would obey, the Ten Commandments and all of the other laws so that they could sacrifice and have forgiveness of sins, temporarily right relationship with God until they needed to do it again and again. But we knew that there was a promise of one day God making that all go away. 
And that happens when he sends Jesus to be the sacrifice for us. Fully God, fully man, the Son of God came to earth and lived a sinless life. Performing miracles, proclaiming that the kingdom of God is near. And that innocent man, the Son of God, Jesus, was hung on a cross for our sins. The the punishment that we deserved was placed on him. The debt that we owed to God was paid by Jesus on the cross. But we're here knowing that that's not where he stayed. He didn't stay in the tomb. He rose again on the third day. Romans 4 verse 25 says, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Justification is one of those words that, you know, we throw around in church, but sometimes we're like, I don't know exactly what that means. But it's really just saying, just as if you had never sinned. You're made right with God. Your debt is wiped away. That he died for our sins and rose, proving that we have no more debt to God. I mentioned in the first few points that I think there's a core longing in all of us for these things that Paul is listing. I think deep within us, we have a desire for relationship with God. That some of us are more aware of it and some of us it's more deep hidden in in there. But there's something where we're like, I want to know that things are okay between me and God. But apart from Christ, they're just not. Augustine said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O God, and the heart of man is restless until it finds rest in thee. Augustine is saying there's something inside of us that longs for peace, that longs for that shalom with God, that longs for that pre-sin, Garden of Eden, right relationship. There's something inside of us that longs for things to be as they should be. That's the idea of shalom, peace, that things are as they should. And there's something deep inside all of us that know, hey, things in my life and the world are not as they should be. And we long for that. But in the moment that we put our faith in Christ and believe in the resurrection, we do have peace with God. Romans 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That we can trust because God has been raised from the dead, because Jesus came back to life, we can have peace with the Father. Something we all long for. Right relationship with God. We're offered forgiveness of sins if the resurrection is real. And we're here to celebrate and remind you, it is. God really did come as one of us, took the punishment we deserve and rose on the third day. And because of that, we can have right relationship with God. That we can know whether we just sinned on the way to church yelling at our spouse or yelling at our kids or, or speeding because we were running late, whatever we did, big or small, we know that that's forgiven. Whatever we've done to break God's laws has been paid for by Jesus. We were watching TV not too long ago, and Jake from State Farm popped up. You guys all know Jake from State Farm, right? Most of you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Jake from State Farm is one of my favorite commercial personalities. He's just so happy. He's like smiling all the time and he's just like, you could save money with State Farm. Like, and I don't know, it's just fun. But the reason I bring up State Farm is because like many other car insurance companies, 
you can choose to have accident forgiveness. You can add it to your plan. And what accident forgiveness does, I copied this straight from car insurance's websites. Accident forgiveness is a feature you can add on to your auto coverage with some insurers so that it forgives the driver if the accident turns out to be your fault. This means an accident that you're at fault won't negatively affect you. They won't raise your rates. They won't count it against you. That what was going to be something that is a mark against you is no longer a mark against you. It's accident forgiveness. Jesus came as much more than accident forgiveness. He came as the Savior of the world to say, hey, everything that you've done that's made you fall short of the standard of God won't be counted against you if you put your faith in his death and resurrection. If you put your faith in him, if you surround him and make him the Lord of your life. It's a silly illustration, but I think it reminds us that we actually do have a debt to pay. That we owe something to God that we can't pay back on our own. And that because of what Jesus has done, we can have right standing with God. It can be wiped away, removed from our record, taken off, that nobody can look it up later and be like, this happened. It is gone. As far as the east is from the west, which I don't know if you did well in geography, those don't ever touch. They go in opposite directions forever. And that's how far God removes our sin, that we're made right with him. We're completely forgiven. So our message matters. Our faith is needed. The apostles weren't liars. We're offered forgiveness. The next one is we can live with hope. We can live with hope. He said those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Remember, this is the opposite of everything. Paul's saying if if Jesus didn't really raise from the dead, there's no hope for life after death. There's nothing we can count on because if Jesus didn't come back, you're, you're done for too. But First Thessalonians, Paul says, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed. We don't want you just to not know. We need you to know. Those who sleep in death, we need to, you, you to know about them so that you don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Or First Peter 3 1 verse 3 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we've been born again because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. Because Christ has been raised, because of the resurrection, we can live with expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. I had, a, I had a professor that used to say, heaven is better than the best day of your life. Not just the best day of your life, but the best hour of the best day of your life. And the best minute of the best hour of the best day of your life pales in comparison to what awaits us in eternity. That we can live with expectation of the inheritance that we didn't earn or deserve. That's freely been bought through Christ's life through his death and resurrection. That we can be like the the people that Jesus is talking about at the end of the parable where he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's joy. 
the perfect joy of God. We get glimpses of it on earth. We see that the things he's made is good and we enjoy them, but it's just a small taste of what's to come. It makes going through whatever we're going through a little bit easier. Living with that hope, that expectation that this isn't all that there is. In fact, Paul later brings this up in in the same chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, when he's making an argument. He's like, guys, I've gone through some stuff. People don't like me. People are regularly trying to kill me. They're beating me up. And this is in verse 32. He says, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Paul is basically saying, hey guys, if this life is all there is, do everything you can just to live it up. But if it's not all there is, if this is actually just a small part of eternity, do everything you can to be focused on eternity. In another letter, he actually says, let us run with focus on that point. Let us focus actually more on the life that is to come than even what's in front of us right now. In fact, if we live with expectation and hope, it gives us endurance. It gives us the ability to go through hard times because we know this isn't all that there is. It makes all of the work of of serving and giving and generosity and loving those who need it and caring for the people around us and sharing the good news of Jesus worth it. Because we know this isn't all there is. That we have life after death, the promise of resurrection. In his last negative point of saying, if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, he says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all, of all people, the most to be pitied. He's like, guys, you should feel pretty sorry for me if Jesus didn't come back from the dead. Paul's like, my life is laser focused. And yeah, there's things, I experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit, I I have joy and peace and all of those things. He's like, but if all I have is is just good circumstances on earth, I'm not doing a very good job living. He's like, "I've, I've readjusted where I'm living. He's doing what Jesus preached in the Sermon on the Mount. He's not storing up treasure here on earth. He's storing up treasure in heaven because he's focused on what's ahead, the promise of eternity. Paul has taken all his eggs and put them in one basket. He's taking all his Easter eggs and just putting them in one basket. He's all in on the resurrection. He's not living with a foot in both worlds. He's saying this is the reality. And that just like those other things we said, just like a birth announcement or sad news or things that have changed, the news of Jesus' resurrection changes everything. That for Paul, he's like, I I can't live the same anymore. My life has completely changed as a result of Jesus coming back from the dead. It's changed everything. At the end of the chapter, he's talking about how that change has happened. He says this in verse 54. When the perishable has been closed with the imperishable, when we get our new bodies, when, when everything's made new, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that, your labor, that you labor in the Lord is not in vain. Paul's like, hey, the resurrection did happen. And that news changes everything. It changes the fact that we have a message that matters. Our faith is needed. The apostles have truth that's shared with us, and we have truth to count on. Our sins have been forgiven. We have the future promise of eternity, and we can live with endurance knowing that this isn't all there is. That we can look towards death different than the rest of the world with hope, with peace, saying, death, where is your sting? Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He was so confident in what was waiting him after death that he said, I will actually be better off when my life is over. Because then my life with Christ fully begins. That we get a down payment of it now, but we see the fullness of it in the future. And I love that his application at the end of this long argument is stand firm. Stand firm. Don't lose sight of what matters most. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Don't lose perspective. Don't get caught up on the things in front of you. Live in light of the eternity. Live in light of the resurrection. Understand that this news should change everything. It should change everything for us. I want us just to take a minute as we pray here and reflect, God, how should my life change because of the resurrection? That Paul's saying, hey, if, all, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, all this stuff is true, I wonder, would our life be different if we didn't believe the resurrection? God, we turn to you and we thank you first and foremost that, like Paul said, praise be to God. Praise be to God that this isn't all that there is, that there is more to this life than what we're currently facing, God, that we have the hope of a future, that we have forgiveness of sins, that we can experience right relationship with you right now. That we can have the fruit of the Holy Spirit fill us. Fruit that we're not producing. Love, joy, peace that's from you, God. Grace, forgiveness, all because of the cross. Because of the death and resurrection of your son. God, we pray that this wouldn't just be news we celebrate once a year. But this would be something that changes everything for us. That we would live unshakable, immovable, fully set and focused on what you have us to do, God understanding that storing up treasure for eternity is far more valuable than right now. Knowing that what we're doing matters, but, but there's consequences for that for eternity, God. Would we live fully for you? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We believe that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, everything changes. And for those of us who are followers, we, we can celebrate and rest assured that our sins are forgiven, that we have the hope of a future, that what we're going through is temporary, that one day things will be made right. But there's maybe some of us in the room who've actually never made that decision to follow Jesus, that we're not actually a follower of Christ yet, or, or maybe at some point we kind of made that decision, but we've wandered away from God and we're wondering, what does it look like to come back? Jesus actually shares a story about this when he talks about there was two sons and the father um, sent one of the sons because the son was like, hey, can I just have my inheritance now? 
can I have whatever you, you have, whatever I'm going to get someday? And the father says, okay. And he goes and he lives. And it says that he did whatever he wanted. He lived wildly. He's lived it up. And then he quickly realized that, hey, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. That he finds himself doing whatever he can to make ends meet. He's feeding pigs and he's actually just wishing he could eat what they eat. And he has this moment of realization, I would be better off in my father's house. I would be better off back with God, back the way things were supposed to be. God is represented by the father in this story. So he goes, I'm going to go back and just ask if I can join the family. And this is what happens. Verse 20 of Luke 15, he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I think that's the moment that if you've wandered away or if you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, you can make today and say, God, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. Will you take me? Will you accept me with open arms? But look at what the father did. He ran to him when he was a long way off. And then in verse 22, the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. That in our own sin, we're separated from God. But if we just come to him and say, God, will you take me back? He's already waiting with open arms. That he's ready to accept you and welcome you into the family of God. To, he's already paid the price. Jesus has forgiven us of our sins. If we would just come and say, God, I want to follow you. He throws a party in heaven. All of heaven rejoices when one person returns. So we have the opportunity this morning, if you've never made that decision to follow Jesus or, or you've wandered away and you're like, I just need to come back home to God. We're going to have you raise your hand in just a minute, but what you're really saying is, God, I need you. I have sinned against heaven. I have sinned against you. Would you come and forgive me? I want this truth to change everything for me. From the inside out, I want to have relationship with you. I want peace with you. I want to live for eternity. It's kind of like making wedding vows for the first time when you make that decision to follow Jesus. You're like, God, I'm all in. God's already there waiting for you. And if you've wandered away, it's like renewing your vows. It's like coming back and saying, God, this is actually what I want. This is who I want to live for. I want to live for you and you alone. It's as simple as saying, God, I need you. I believe that Jesus did it and I'm choosing to follow you. If that's you this morning, if you're online, send us a message. But if you're in the room, I would love for you just to quick raise your hand. It doesn't have to be super high, but just enough for me to see. And I would love to pray with you after service and connect with you. Thank you. Let's pray together. God, I admit I need you. I'm coming home. I'm, I'm, I want to be adopted into the family of God. I want to be called a son or a daughter. I admit that I've, I've fallen short of your standard. I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. But I believe that Jesus died 
to pay the penalty for my sin and he rose again, justifying me, making it as if I had never sinned at all. I believe that and I'm choosing to follow you. God, would you fill everybody in the room who's praying that with your Holy Spirit, a mark of your down payment of what's to come, the hope we have in the future. God, would we receive your forgiveness and grace? Would we experience that peace with you, that hope for eternity? We love you and we trust you and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear about what God is doing in your life. To share your story or a prayer request, simply hit contact on our website. You can also support the ministry of Hope Culture Church by visiting hopeculturechurch.com give. We hope you have a great week.